Welcome to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Today's guest is Kim Wensitz, head girls basketball coach at Yorkville High School. We talked to Coach Wensitz about motivating players, creating a winning culture, the balance of running a system and adapting to your players, and much, much more. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. All right, Coach, so we start out every episode with the opening tip. Um, first kind of question is, like, you know, who who and what is Yorkville basketball? Kind of how do you define yourself as a program? Give us a little info, background for our listeners who might not know. Uh, we were talking before, and you guys, you said you're off to a good start here. Um, and then I'll, you know, go into the second part of the question. But give us a little background on Yorkville. Sure. So Yorkville basketball, we are a mix of rural and suburban. Uh, we are kind of right on the outskirts of the suburbs to where a lot of people don't know where Yorkville is, uh, just west of Naperville. Um, right across from our high school, we actually have a horse farm, which first day of school, I had my windows open and all of a sudden I hear horses neighing and I was like, where in the world am I? Um, Grown to love it, though. I'm in my 16th year there. Uh, in terms of the basketball side, we pride ourselves on being committed having good character and then being competitive. Um, we've had a lot of talent come through the last couple of, well, let's see, it goes back the last probably seven years. And, you know, it's really just a, an area where we're trying to grow. We're smallest of the bigs. We are in 4A. And so, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Burl, you must be 2A, 3A. We are not. We're in the big class. And uh, kids have done a great job of you know, realizing that we're not a small school anymore. So we got to get bigger. We got to get stronger. We got to get more skilled and ultimately compete with these teams who might not know who we are. All right. So I want to go a little deeper than on your, your, your pillars that you talked about there. Do you use like specific things when you're, you know, obviously some of them are, you know, seeing it, you know, record, things like that, but is there other things you use to be more specific to kind of define your program or is it just more more general? Um, I would say it's probably more general, but I feel like all areas of basketball kind of fall under those three pillars. Uh, probably the most one in terms of the game side being the competitive aspect. And I very much believe that any team can beat any other team regardless of skill. I mean, we see it all the time when you watch sports that the underdogs, you know, have a huge upset. Uh, shoot, I mean, it happened last night in football. Tennessee going down. That was a crazy game. Um, but it really just comes down to, you know, are you working hard? Are you trying to do the nitty gritty things, uh, taking charges? We love taking charges in our program. That's something we have as a highlight. I actually changed the background on my phone this year to be everybody's favorite Gatorade flavor, because last year we had so many charges. Every time you take a charge, you get a Gatorade that it was taking me forever to find it. So I'm like, let's just make this simple and make it the background of my phone. Um, but again, part of the competitive aspect, you know, you might be outskilled and, and a lot of times we are when we're going up against teams that, you know, just have more talented players, D1 athletes, but you can still win by by doing those small details. And, and so that's what we try and hit home is, you know, don't worry about how many points they score, where they're going to college, what kind of looks they're getting. Let's just go out and give it our all and, you know, anything can happen on any given night. They're breaking your bank with the Gatorade, huh? That's awesome. I like <laughs> they it. really did last year. I like it. That's awesome. All right. So let's let's kind of talk about that move over from from assistant to head coach, right? Um mm -hmm. when you, you kind of took the reins, um, you know, you took over for a really, really good team. Um, but we want to talk about kind of how you went about the process of deciding, hey, we gotta keep these things that are really good for us, but also maybe some things to change to kind of make it your own as well. Cause that's important as a head, as a head coach. Yeah, team. definitely. So when I took over, it was, um, it was a pretty smooth transition and Luke Englehart, who is now our athletic director was the head coach at the time. And he had decided he wanted to get into the administrative side of things, which a lot of times when that happens, you, you lose the coaching aspect. And so um, it was not planned at all. It was kind of an opportunity that just fell into his lap. And so he approached me and said, hey, I got a great opportunity. I'm taking it. So the job's open. Um, just want to give you a heads up to start thinking about it. And at the time I was 30 and I was like, oh, goodness. You know, I knew I wanted to be a head coach, but I wasn't quite, quite ready to, you know, jump in. Um, 
but you know, when an opportunity presents itself, you can't let it pass. So I applied for it, obviously got the job and very lucky in that the group of kids that I had were absolutely phenomenal. They were great human beings. They worked incredibly hard. They were good basketball players and they were just fun to be around. And so going into the season, I knew that I, I had the skills in order to be very successful. So it was really just kind of a matter of, I didn't want to change too much in terms of the offensive side of what we were doing because I was young. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did not have a, a ton of X's and O's knowledge. And, you know, even to this day, I can improve on that. And, you know, the longer you coach, it's obviously easier. Um, so I wanted to keep that pretty simple for them and, you know, not have a ton of changes. Um, biggest thing I wanted to change was, uh, I shouldn't say it changed, but where I wanted to put my stamp on the program was more of just the motivational aspect. Um, you know, what we do during practice, how we hold ourselves to a standard, um, you know, just kind of tightening up those details to where when you're in a game, you're, you're not taking short corners, you know, you're not looking for the quickest way. We, we want to be detailed. We want to be oriented and, you know, ultimately have fun. So, uh, I'm very big into motivation. So trying to motivate the kids, uh, you know, as, as you know, it's a whole, it's a grind of a season. And so try and keep them motivated throughout the four months. Um, but also mix in just fun drills and, and get their input. There was a couple practice where it's like, all right, girls, you know, we've had three practice in a row. What do you guys want to do? Let's do a fun team bonding activity. And, you know, those were usually the most memorable practices. Um, but really just kind of learning as I go, taking what was already there, not changing too much. And then, uh, you know, like I said, trying to keep them motivated throughout the season. So that season, right, you tie the school record for wins. But what did what did you learn about the, that from that first season that you still take today? And maybe, you know, having such success, what was kind of, uh, I guess, fool's gold in that first season that you're like, oh, you know, because you're a young coach. You're like, hey, OK, yeah. it's going to be this easy. Right. Uh, so maybe kind of both sides of that. Sure. Um, probably the biggest thing I learned is that it's a lot easier to win when you have incredible talent around you. And I did with that team. We had uh, three girls who ended up going on and playing D2 basketball. Um, one of them is actually playing overseas right now, Katie Nolan. She's playing for a team in England, which super cool. You know, first first professional athlete we've ever had, I think, in our school. I think I'm safe to say that. So, you know, quite an honor for her. Um, but I had talent. I mean, they, I had talent. So that was that made it very easy. Uh, you know, I, I learned that you have to persevere through all the challenges. There were several games where it was like, all right, we're down and out. There's no way we're going to win this. And then, you know, the girls, they just responded, got after them. Uh, at halftime and and they responded it was at Ottawa we were playing Lincoln Way West back when they I think it was the first of the Googly Ooza sisters they might have had two on the team but they were very good that year and you know we were I think down by 15 and ended up coming back and winning by 15 so just a great response and we kind of did the same thing in our regional championship game against Naperville Central which they had uh, I think her name was Mia she ended up going and playing at maybe Northwestern or a Princeton, one of the very elite academic schools and obviously division one. And it was the same thing. We were down at halftime, just not playing well. Uh, we were playing well. We weren't shooting well. And, you know, just relax, trust the process. We've been here before. And they came back and we ended up winning that game by, I think, 25. And Andy Newsbaum, he's been around. He's coached a few good players. Um, you know, he's obviously a veteran coach. And for the kids just to respond you know, incredible. The other thing I would say I learned is your assistants are so valuable. And when I think of all of the regionals, I've won two regionals since um, becoming a head coach, every single one of them, the assistants have had incredible impact on it. You know, whether it's helping keep the kids loose and motivated, whether it's looking at film and scout reports, um, you know, how do we want to defend a team? We're playing them for the second, third time. What do we want to do differently? Uh, you know, they have been great resources for me, especially being so young. So that probably would be another big takeaway I had is utilize your, your assistants and, you know, find those basketball brains, even on the boys side, we had a great boys coach at the time, Mike Dunn, who's now at York and he was a great help 
you know, incredible basketball mind. I mean, you talk X's and O's, he know he knows what he's doing. I stole several plays from him. So utilize those people who are around you who, you know, have more experience or just know more than you do in a certain area. Yes, I remember Mia, I think it was Lex Lex Degala. Uh, I remember yep. pushing against her as well. Um, and then my favorite line so far of the episode, Coach, was it's easier to win when you have talent. I think we should uh, <laughs> we should all write that one down. Um, so getting, Absolutely. In, getting into um, a little bit about the regional, you know, you had mentioned it and it kind of flows right into this question. You know, you guys won a regional after 15 plus years at the school without one. Um, you know, and then, and sometimes people don't realize that, yes, the X's and O's are important and you kind of hit on the motivation, but how did you go about changing that culture a little bit in that long period and, and to build back up to that level of success? It really was a culmination of three to four seasons leading up to that. So we had the talent, you know, obviously kids play for three, four years on varsity when you're talented. So we had that talent at a young age and we made it to the regional championship. I think like when I think of Katie Nolan, I think we made it all four of her years and we lost in the regional championship every single time we lost at West Aurora against West Aurora. And we were up with, I don't know, 30 seconds to go by like five and kind of had a meltdown, fouled, missed free throws. They made their free throws, went into overtime. They ended up beating us in overtime. We then lost to Nequa Valley on our home court in a regional championship. That was a hard one. So it was just kind of the mindset of we got here. Now we need to get over the hump. So knowing that the year prior we had lost in the regional championship, that was 100% our motivator all off season. Once I took over in the summer and I found out pretty early, I think I found out, um, well, I didn't find out till the middle of June, but I was the interim head coach, so to say all of summer. And so the mindset was, you know, we want to win a regional. It's not good enough just to get there. That was our goal three years prior. Now that we're getting there, it's we need to get over the hump and we need to win it. So kind of everything we did, that was the mindset of this is our goal and we're not going to settle for anything less than that. Um, it's something that, again, we talked about all year. And I think the kids just really did a great job of buying in. They knew they could get there. They knew they could be successful. And it was just a matter of, you know, you got to come ready to play and, and take advantage of the opportunities that are there. So I was going to kind of follow up on that and in, in that getting over the hump. And I think people don't realize how big of a hump that is um, just as, as Todd and I have been in those situations. So what were maybe some things in that three-year period that you tweaked or changed or altered or to kind of help your team get over that hump um, to, to go from getting to that regional, but then actually winning it and finishing it off. Probably one of the biggest things is trying to get some more challenging teams, get in those more difficult games. So that way, you know, when you get to a regional championship and maybe you're down, it's not like this is the first time we've been down all season. Um, and that's where, you know, I mentioned playing Lincoln way West. That was a great game for us because it, was similar to what happened in that regional championship. Um, so that would be one thing I would say. Uh, also just trying to stay calm and let them know that it's okay if you're down, like teams come back, it's going to happen. We're not going to play our best basketball every game, but good teams find ways to win ugly. And so when shots aren't falling, what can you do to try and make positive plays, get something going to the hoop, try and get it into our posts. Again, we had size that year, which if you have size, you have talent, it makes it easier. Try and take advantage of those things. Um, our bench, oh, our bench play was so, so crucial that year. And even I'm talking the kids who didn't never even got in a minute. And I think of that regional championship, and I actually showed this to our team this year. There's a picture of all of our starters on the bench right before buzzer was about to sound. And one of our seniors who knew her role. Her role was she's an energy kid. She practiced hard, but she knew she was never going to get in a game. And we were up by so much. She was able to get into the regional championship and she was right down in front of our bench in transition ball got past her wide open for a three. And I said to her, drain it. And she did. And the bench just erupted. And so there's a picture captured of, of the kids celebrating for, her. and that was, you know, I showed the kids that this year, I said, this is why we won. I said, it. yes, we had talent and, and don't get me wrong, that helped, but every kid bought in and, you know, you can try and preach it, try and have conversations with it. Sometimes it's out of your control, but with that T 
team, I said, that girl right there, Jasmine Bracero is her name. I said, she, she was the most important person on that team. And she played the least amount of anybody on that team. And so I think, you know, my kids this year really kind of got excited by that and, and saw that, you know, we have a similar opportunity that can happen. And so I think that it, that's huge, making sure you got everybody engaged from your best to, you know, the kid who's last off the bench. All right, so I want to I want to piggyback on that a little, little bit. Uh, you mentioned basketball is a long season, right? Mm -hmm. You got a you got a Thanksgiving in there early. You got Christmas where you got some time off. You know, you play a little bit, but then you know you don't play depending on when you go back to school. Um, so throughout that long season, what are some of the things you do to help your team? You know, keep focused, right? Because it's easy to lose focus. Maybe you know you you take an opponent lightly you know you know you see their record but you don't realize hey they've played a bunch of really good teams um mm -hmm. you know not getting too high or low and, and keeping them kind of motivated you know through those down periods but not too high during those up periods probably the, my two things i would say is one change it up at practice and the kids have kind of given me a lot of feedback throughout the years of don't do the same drills you know, you can do the same type of drills. And I very much believe that, you know, you should have segmented practices where you work on individual skill work, passing, dribbling, then offensive skill work, you know, team skill work, defense. So I'm very much a, have a regimented um, practice, but they get bored if you do the same ball handling every day, if you do the same transition drill every day. So trying to change that up. Um, the other thing, implement as much fun as you can. Uh, theme practices has kind of been a big thing lately. When you look at Twitter, you see a lot of teams trying to do different theme practices. So we'll throw those in and letting the kids pick. Um, we did a white lies the other day and, you know, they had some good ones on there. Um, also, you know, it doesn't have to be all basketball. I think we played floor hockey one, one year over Christmas break. And that also helps with the competitive edge, actually. Uh, you know, so you really get to find out who are your kids that want to win when you start playing something and it has nothing to do with basketball. Um, trying to do team related activities every year at Christmas time, we always do some kind of program gathering. Uh, I think the year we won the regional, we did a pancake decorating contest and, you know, then the coaches were the judge and, we had pancakes that actually look like our longtime assistant, Al Goss, who's been here 25 years. Um, what other goofy things have we done? Uh, we've done snowball fights, you know, take advantage of it. And just anything to make them realize that, yes, we're here to play basketball. We're here to win games. We want to win regionals. But at the same time, you know, we're here to enjoy each other's company. And if we're spending four months together, then then might as well, you know, enjoy it. All right, so we're going to go to our halftime adjustments. This is a more little basketball-related uh, question here. So my give you kind of situation, you kind of talk through it with us. Uh, so my situation for you, you talked about your end of the games, right, and your, your regional. So this kind of ties in. Uh, there's like a minute left, okay? You're, you're down by one. You're getting the ball back. Um, is that a situation where maybe you're running clock trying to get the last basket, or are you trying to score – defend and maybe hope you have some time left obviously there's no shot clock right so it's a little bit different um, shot clock's eventually coming that'll change some strategy a little bit but yeah. you know how do you do those end of game situations where you're maybe down by a point of possession right where you know you don't need a foul and do all that but you can get a basket tie the game take the lead uh, how do you manage those end of the game situations if we're looking at one minute left I'm being aggressive I don't want to wait for the last second. Um, I am not a coach who likes to stall. Uh, I've had good guards too, so it's not that we haven't been able to, but I just feel like more often than not, when you stall, you usually have a sloppy turnover. And so I'm a, let's go, let's run a play. Let's get it into our best player's hands. At that point, you know, you you know who's scoring well, you know who, who you trust, who you want to go to. Um, and then after we score, quick timeout quick timeout. Let's pause what we're doing. Let's reset the defense, remind them of we're now up. So we don't need to foul. We want to defend, get a hand up, uh, get the rebound and then look to transition our own self. But if it's, if it's under 30 seconds, then I'm waiting for the last, I'm waiting for the last shot, but 
with one minute to go, I'm I'm aggressive. I want to go. So say you get that basket, then are you thinking about giving them a different look defensively? You sticking with what you're doing and kind of going on the flow of the game, knowing what they're what they're trying to do? What are you looking to do defensively there? I I'm I would stick with what we're doing. Uh exceptions may be if um I'm not very much of a zone coach that is slightly changing this year, but I like playing man to man. Uh maybe change up how we defend a screen. If you know they have a kid who, you know, take a meal, however you say her last name. It is Lascaglia, Lestaglia, something, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, maybe maybe do a double team and have someone rotate over on her and change up what we've been doing there. Um, but you know, that's what we practice, that's what we're used to. I don't want to take any chances on something that the kids aren't aren't prepared for. So uh, we want to get into a, a couple of different topics for you here. The The first is, you know, we've we've all experienced seasons where our team is doing very well, but we've all experienced, uh, you know, seasons where maybe the win loss record is a little rough. So for you, kind of the example I want to give you, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't, but, you know, the, you often have a lot of things you do as a coach the same each year, just the playing style and things like that, defensively, offensively. Um, but let's say that the win losses aren't going the way you want them to go. And, and you just notice your team isn't doing blank. Well, um, that you consistently do every year for you. How long do you keep doing that same thing, even though it's not going very well versus how long do you decide like, Hey, maybe for this team, I can't do that. It's time to try something new. Um, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I would say maybe after six or seven games, if, you know, let's take a defensive segment. Let's take ball screens. Cause honestly, I think I've done something different every year with ball screens. If I see that it's just not being effective, uh, let's say we're showing and recovering, fighting over the top of the screens. Then after five or six games, we'll make the change and say, okay, let's just aggressively switch everything and, and see how they're defending it. Um, you know, as much as you want to say, I like playing this style of ball, you know, one thing I've learned is it really depends on your kids and you can have certain systems that you like and you think it's most effective, but if you don't have the kids who can execute it, then you got to make the adjustments. And so that's something I've tried to do. Uh, again, my mind goes more to the defensive side, the offensive side. If, if skills aren't working, then I feel like that's where you just have to work more in practice on building those skill sets. Um, you still can tweak things and, and try and get, you know, maybe some hitters or, or changing up the offense a little bit to make them more successful. But, you know, if you don't have the skill set on the offensive side, you just got to keep building it because it won't matter what offense you run. It's it's not going to be effective. Um, and then just to build on that is, you know, let's say that you're realizing, hey, um, you know, maybe I'm not the voice that should be saying this. Kind of what's your thoughts about you know, delegating certain things, you know, I delegate a lot of things to my assistant coaches, different skills, different things like that. Kind of what's your philosophy on delegating to your assistants? And do you give your assistants complete ownership over different aspects? Yeah, I think it's something that with my assistants, I like to establish at the beginning of the year of where do you see yourself being most effective? Um, where do you feel like you can have the biggest impact on this team? And then kind of sticking with that. Um, this is probably something I could do a better job of. And I've had, I think, three or four different, four. I'm on my fourth assistant right now, which all have gone on to, you know, other opportunities, which has been a great thing. One went over to a different high school to become a head varsity baseball coach. Uh, another has gone on to be, uh, he wanted to be a head coach his own self. So he went over to become a JV boys coach. Um, so now I'm on my third assistant. So it, it definitely is a, a process where you kind of have to grow together and figure out what are they good with? What do I trust them with? Uh, right now, my assistant actually played under me. Uh, Corinne Rowe, it was, it's pretty cool to have former players on your coaching staff. And I have two of them and, you know, she's been awesome with the kids. And so honestly, I need to give her more responsibility, but it is something where it is nice when you can let go of those reins and give them ownership. You don't realize as a coach how much nicer it is for you because that's one less thing that you have to worry about. 
And so there definitely is some control factor that comes into play. But like with Corinne, she was a great point guard for me. She went and played at North Central. She played softball there as well. So I give her all the trust in the world. Work on any skill work you want with our guards. What do you see that we need to do better? What can we be doing differently within our offense? And, you know, she has full reign of that. Um, out of bounds plays are another place to start if you're not sure. You know, let the let the assistants call it. Let them come up with their own plays because ultimately, you know, that gives them the the mindset that you know I am important with this within this program, which obviously they are. But it just gives them that buy-in factor. Um, so I think I answered your question there. Yeah, you did. No, it, it was very very well said. Um, you know, you had you had mentioned you know your last player played at North Central. I believe that's where you played as well. Mm -hmm. um, it is. So for you, just in preparing athletes for college sports, this is a topic Todd and I have a lot with different coaches from around the country, whether it's high school or college. Um, what are things you took from your playing career um, collegiately and you try to show the girls the other side of, you know, this is how you prepare, but also, you know, Todd and I have had this conversation with a lot of people like, do you really want to do this? Do you really realize how much work, especially... Uh, Todd and I both coach D3, especially division three. It's a lot more work than people understand. Oh, it definitely is. Um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things to emphasize to the kids is, you know, you may be a great high school player, but when you get to college, they're all great high school players. So you're going up against, you know, all the all conference, all the all areas. And so it really turns into how much work are you willing to put in? And, uh, you know, I think weight room, weight room, I think is one of the biggest factors in terms of, are you ready for the collegiate level? Because when you get to that next, next level, you know, these kids are bigger, they're stronger, and you have to be able to match that. You know, it's one thing when you're going up against a kid who's your size, but you're not going up against that kid anymore. It's now a different level. Um, also, you know, just the commitment side of it, you know, you, you spoke on it, John, and even at D3, it's still a huge time commitment. And I was very fortunate when I played that we, I think in my, I only played for three years and I think I missed one class throughout all of my three years. North Central did a phenomenal job of making education the priority. And so we did not get pulled from class a lot. Um, but it's, there's morning practices. My kids hate morning practices. And I was like, girls got to get used to it. You know, sometimes that's when the gym's available and you never know, maybe that's when the coach is available. So just small things like that. Uh, even the mindset, I mean, you start two weeks earlier and you go two weeks later. So it's a longer season. Um, just kind of talking to them about those different options, but also trying to mix in the positives that can come from it. You know, it's amazing that some of these D3 schools are going, you know, out of the country here. And that was not an option when I played. We did get to go to Disney World and that was cool. Um, but just the opportunities that are available for you in terms of you can get a great education while still playing the sport you love and, you know, take advantage of it. But know that you're still going to have to put in that work and and ultimately grind it out even longer. Well, and I remember one of my former players when she got to the college level and it was winter break and everyone else went home except the men's and women's team. And she's like, coach, I don't think you understand how quiet the campus is until everyone else leaves. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it's very quiet. Oh, yeah. Those were I thought were the most fun times, so, though, because <laughs> all you did, you practice for two hours, three hours, and then you were done. And it was like, all right, now what do we do? Mm -hmm. We got no one in the dorms. The cafeteria wasn't even open at that time. I remember we got an allowance, which, you know, was awesome because as a player, you're like, all right, I'm going to bank this money and then go to mom and dad and say, hey, can you send me some food money and kind of double up that way? Um, but <laughs> I think some of my favorite memories from college are from those those days where you just got done with practice and you just goofed around. Yes, I, I couldn't oh, agree. No doubt. I used to love the the $10 you'd get and you'd find the cheapest meal and then the rest of it mm -hmm. keep saving Absolutely. up. Absolutely. All right. So I want to get back to your your, your program and more of a, a program-wide thought here. Um, you know, building that continuity between your varsity, sophomore, and freshman level. You know, obviously – 
freshman, sophomore, you know, you have different skills and different things that you're you're trying to implement. So so how do you go about kind of building that continuity so the freshmen, you know, towards that end of the year are now ready for things that they're gonna see as a sophomore. And then obviously sophomores, you know, depending on, you know, your who pulls up and whatever, or now you're they got to be ready for that that varsity level, which is each level is a pretty big jump, right? Oh yeah, uh, especially in girls basketball where there's a tendency to move players up, right? Um, you know, if it's a really good freshman, but they're not quite ready for they're going to be on they're going to be on the the sophomore. So, um, how do you go about building that continuity within your program? Sure, uh, we have a lot of discussions as coaches, and I kind of put different emphasis at each level. So with my freshman level, I tell my coaches, I would like you guys practicing at least 45 minutes a day of just pure fundamental work, dribbling, passing, shooting, footwork, and just really trying to hammer home that when you're on the left side, you're going off the right foot, you're going up with your left hand. And, you know, in transition, when we are dribbling, here's how we dribble, just small details that you know, when they get to that next level and the game has sped up and there's more talented players, there's more physical players, they know how to respond to that. Um, also within their having same drills that we do has been very consistent. That's been a nice aspect for us to where when they go up to the next level and they hear Bucks drill, they know, okay, this is our three-man weave that we're looking to work on transition, looking to work on shots and layups. Um and there's certain ones that I will, you know, tell my coaches ahead of time. I give them a sheet that says I would like these drills, these uh, plays implemented. That also helps with if you pull a kid up because, you know, injuries happen throughout a season, especially if you look at the last two seasons with COVID, it, you never knew who, when you were going to need another player. And so if you pull a kid up, they have to be able to know what out of bounds you're running. You know, there's just certain aspects they need to understand how to do. And so that's something that we'll talk about. Um also just having conversations with the kids and just figuring out what is your goal? Is your goal to make it to varsity? Is your goal just to have a good experience and enjoy playing basketball? And, you know, if, if that conversation is, yes, I want to make it to varsity, then trying to have honest conversations with them of, you know, you need to improve your skill set. You need to improve your shooting. You need to get in the weight room more, whatever the situation may be. So that way, when they do get to varsity, there's no surprises. And, you know, even that, I think the jump from, sophomore to varsity as a junior is one of the hardest jumps because as you said you're pulling kids up so now you have the best of your school not just the best of your grade level and so we have a lot of conversations with our kids at least we try to about you know what their role is and this year this year might be a little bit more difficult for you in terms of playing time but keep working at it keep getting better it's going to pay off for you your senior year well I think you even mentioned the, the college level the physicality like you got a senior who's been probably plays a couple sports, been in the weight room, you mm -hmm. know, maybe going to play, play a, a college sport, whatever it may be compare, you know, to a sophomore who's just kind of started getting the weight room, their body's probably still developing. You know, that's, that's always a big jump in an adjustment for, for players at that, at that level. You can get away with it at the younger levels, right. With your athleticism and something like that. But now you, now it's hard with that physicality at the, at the varsity level. Yeah, definitely. And then you start talking mindset. You know, if I'm a senior, whether it's in high school or whether it's in college, you're not taking my spot. And and that should be the mentality. And it's not just something that, you know, oh, I'm a senior, so I earned it. No, that, that doesn't exist at the varsity level, at the college level. It's whoever's the best player are the ones who are going to get out on the court, who's ever performing the best. And so just having that mindset of you're not taking my spot. And then also the reverse as a sophomore, take the senior spot work harder than they do, push them because in taking their spot, you're making them better and you're making yourself better. So it's, it's interesting how the conversations change as, you know, kids progress and get older. Well, well and, oh, go ahead, John. No. And I was going to say, I think one of the the big transitions people don't realize just as somebody that, that did JV basketball is, you know, the, the difference between the freshman and the sophomore level and that, you know, a lot of times the freshman level is the, the freshmen that are there that aren't good enough to be on JV and varsity. And sometimes there's even an A and a B, whereas all of a sudden, and especially in a bigger school, you go from an A and a B where maybe 30 freshmen are, you know, make it or 24 freshmen make it to all of a sudden that next, that next year, there's 12 spots for not only the sophomores moving up, but for the freshmen mm -hmm. behind them. So I think that's always a big jump as well. That gets sometimes under discussed. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you think about it over the course of the four years, I feel like of kids that are on a freshman team, if there's two or three that make it to varsity, that's about average. And, you know, it just kind of, like you said, you have kids who are just there and they want to be there. They want to be a part of a team, which is great. You know, you, it's not like one kid's better than another, but then you also have kids who, you know, want to be there. They love basketball. You know, they want to, whether they want to play at the next level or they just want to play for four years, but um, you know, you start mixing in everyone and, and it really, makes for an interesting dynamic. So well, I wanted to go back to your competitiveness um, thing. So one of the biggest things I say, it's at any level, right, is the competitiveness between, I guess, friends and teammates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially against your own team and, and pre- preparing. A lot of times that's that's hard for, for anybody because, hey, I'm friends with these, this person off the court. I'm, you know, I hang out with them. Um, I don't maybe don't want to look bad. How do you kind of instill that competitiveness and, and working to get your teammates better in practice, but still having that camaraderie off the court? Because I think sometimes players confuse it for, well, if I'm going after this person, my friend's going to be mad at me, whatever, whatever it may be. But, you know, then that doesn't get you better in practice every day. Yeah. And I feel like with girls, especially, you know, we tend to read more into that and it's, oh, she doesn't like me. And then you carry it off the court when it, boys, I feel like they step off the court and it, you know, it's over, it's done. Um, I think there's, there's really two ways that come to mind in answering that question. And the first kind of goes back to the question you asked me earlier, where you said, what did I change right away when I took over the program? And I think, uh, you know, I hit on, on the mindset and that was, that was one of the areas that I, I switched and I don't know where I heard this, Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a clinic somewhere. And um, they talked about just the winner's mentality. And so typically in practice, the team that loses is the one that runs the sprints. You know, you lost, you got a down and back, whatever it is. And so whoever the coach was, their mindset was the opposite. You know, if you want to play, if you want to win, you got to be conditioned. So when you win the drill, you've earned the right to run a sprint now. And so that was one thing that I did early in my career is I said, you know, winners run and enjoy it, be excited about it. And the losers then had to cheer them on. Um, So that was one thing that I did Uh, this year, starting trying something new. And I actually stole this from our boys coach, John Holikowski, who I don't know where he got it from. I think Twitter somewhere. And he found a competitive cauldron. And basically it's just a, a Google spreadsheet where you're keeping track of every drill. You win the drill, you lose the drill. You know, it shooting numbers. I got shooting numbers all attached to that. And just trying to have that competitive aspect of who's winning the most drills. And it's kind of twofold. As a coach, it helps because this year I actually kept 15 kids. And, you know, they're they're talented players. And we've already had, we've had two games, two different starting lineups. And I can see that being consistent throughout the season. And so just kind of trying to, you know, show them the competitive numbers of where am I at? Where do I need to be? Um, but then, you know, again, from the girls' side, just reminding them of we're all here to support one another, love one another. We all want to win. So when the practice is over, it's a, you know, thanks for pushing me kind of a, kind of a mentality, not a, I can't believe you did that to me. You made me look bad, whatever that, whatever's going through girls' minds at the time. So definitely a lot of conversations and and just more mental coaching than the physical coaching. So just before we get into the last two segments, I, I really wanted to hit on uh, you know, Todd and I, our, our show has now gone in, in partnership with the IBCA, the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Um, and, and Todd and I are not only just the IBCA, but just local state coaching organizations. Um, so this this doesn't even have to be necessarily just targeted at the IBCA. But, you know, I know you play an active role in the IBCA. Um, you know, so why, why do you feel like for you, um, state coaching organizations are important? Uh, why do you think it's important for the coaches to get involved and how do we continue to kind of grow those organizations? Sure. Uh, first thing that comes in mind is all about the collaboration, the collaboration and then building those relationships to where if you need something, you have someone you can go to. Um State clinics also are a great aspect. You know, I've gone to the state clinic every year, I believe. I think I might have missed one in there, um, but every year. And there's never a clinic I've been to, regardless of who the names are, that I haven't pulled something from it. And, you know, the IBCA, I think, has done a great job of getting some phenomenal speakers over the years. And I know they're continuing to look at that and try and revamp it a little bit for next year. Um, 
but there's been great speakers where whether it's a drill, whether it's how you organize your practice, you know, how you help coach kids through a long season, I've always gotten something from that. But also just, like I said, back to the relationship piece of it, uh, being able to know coaches in your area and reach out to them has been an awesome resource. And I'll take, for example, uh, Plainfield North played St. Ignatius. Plainfield North is in our conference. We play them. That's our first home opener, first conference opener. We play them a week from Tuesday. And Cara Doyle, um, I've worked with through Grow the Game initiatives. And, uh, you know, I went and I watched and she's like, I'll send you the film afterwards. So she sent me the film, um, also shared her scout report. And, oh, my God, her scout report's awesome. I'm 100% stealing what she does. She has simplified it for the kids. And I think I'm on my third or fourth different variation of a scout report. And so just small details like that, where it's like, hey, I never thought of doing something like this. And, you know, if it weren't for the IBCA and for, for getting involved in different coaching organizations, I would never have had that relationship. It would have still just been me going to the gym, trying to film it, trying to take notes, you know doing the best I can when it's like, why are we working so hard when, you know, we can try and collaborate and it's, you know, I, it makes everybody else more competitive. So I think those have been uh, great takeaways for me in terms of how the clinics and just coaches groups have, have been a good thing. So right. we, we wanted to get into uh, our second to last segment, which we call 30 second timeout. Um, you, this is kind of, as Todd would say, your dime, your dance floor, you can <laughs> kind of choose the topic. You can choose what you want to discuss. Um, it can be your family, your program, something you're passionate about outside of basketball. Um, oftentimes, uh, people we have on the show will turn around and, and take this opportunity to ask Todd and I a question. Uh, but it's, it's kind of your, your time to, to bring up whatever you'd like. Okay, well, in typical coaching fashion, I'm going to take this 30-second timeout and stretch it out. Uh, I got a couple things. Um, one that I would say I'm passionate about is giving back. And so I think anytime uh, you're in an opportunity to do so, you need to. And especially when you're in charge of a program and you got 40 to 50 kids underneath you, it's good to show them that we need to give back because we are in a great place. We have great opportunities that are given to us. So let's do the same for others. So two of the ways that you know we try and give back is – um, the first one is I started a Hoops for Hope game with Oswego High School 12 years, 13 years ago, actually. We're in our 12th year of the event, but it started 13 years ago because of the COVID year in there. And it is a basketball game. We just play each other and all uh, funds and awareness go to um, Kale's Angels, which is a local pediatric organization. And so kids get very excited for the game. Um, it's usually been a huge turnout. We've raised over $40,000 in our 12 years of doing this event. And I think this year is actually going to be our biggest year. Uh, we have a grill that we're going to be raffling off. It's not a Traeger, but it's just like a Traeger. And I should know the name and I'm sorry, I don't, but follow me on Twitter and you'll see stuff. You can buy a ticket. It's a grill valued at $1,400. So we're excited about that one. A lot of opportunity to raise money there. Um, also hoops for hope. I mentioned, or excuse me, grow the game. I mentioned that a few minutes ago, and that is a, event that Terry Rogers started at Nutrier High School. And if you haven't had her on your show, she's one I absolutely would try to get on. Um, Terry is just a phenomenal human. And, and the whole initiative there is trying to, uh, you know, empower women and continue to, you know, grow our game and, and let them know that women want to have equal opportunities. That's all we're asking for is give us the opportunity. And, and Terry gave the example of, if she were going for the head boys job in one of her local areas, let's say Libertyville, you know, her being, God, I don't know how many regional championships she's up to. I think she's in the double digits. She's been downstate. She's obviously won a sectional championship. If she's been downstate, very successful coach, she should get the job if she's the most qualified and will that happen? So those are kind of the two initiatives. Um, we give back, uh, my second one, changing the tables a little bit. Got to give a shout out to my Notre Dame football team. That is my diehard passion outside of basketball. Uh, I always get mad when we have games on Saturdays and I can't watch, but it's all right. So go Irish. Let's let's beat those Trojans next week. And then last, I'm going to flip it back to you guys now. Uh, what would you say is the biggest lesson you have learned throughout any of your coaching years? I'm going to keep it vague. Uh, 
making it simple. <laughs> I think when you first start out and you're young, you're like, you try to do all these things, right? And you're like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And, you know, even even now it, it's hard because like, like you said, you can go on Twitter and you can find tremendous stuff from, from everybody. But how do you simplify that for the program you're at, your your players? How do you make it your your own? I, I think that's the, the biggest thing I've learned. Like every year, uh, me and John talk, like I'm sitting on faster or something and I'm just deleting stuff, right? Like, oh, I didn't mm-hmm. use this or I didn't use that. Or, you know, you know, um, and I, you know, when I was doing the head coach thing, I would have all these things and then I would just keep going and deleting it, deleting it, deleting it and kind of whittle it down to the, the core values. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing I've learned is simplicity of your drills, you know, plays, whatever, you know, obviously you have to have some things in there for situations and things like that, but the simpler you can have it and the better your players can get it and, and with your core concepts and execute those the better chance you're going to have. First of all, that was my favorite 30 second timeout that we've ever had in the 80 plus episodes we've had. So that was awesome. Yes. It was good. It was very good. Um, Thank you. I would say I'm, I'm going to answer this with, with three parts. I would say the first one is keep it simple. Um, you know, when I first started, I thought offense was all about all these things that the coach could do. And, and it really isn't. Um, we have not in my program, we have not run a set play um, in about two and a half seasons now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we want to play tempo and I, and I want the kids to learn how to play. So, um, we, we don't do anything like that, um, because I think it just slows them down and it makes them overthink. Um, the second thing, and and this is the, the inter, the inner mental health school employee in me is to check on the kids, um, is to Mm -hmm. make sure that your, your kids are, are feeling loved and supported and, and I, I say to my kids all the time, I love you guys. I, there's, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be, you know, the hardcore all the time, you know, it's, it's okay to push your kids, but you know, at the same time, yes. So I push my kids, but I also say, I love you. I also start do check-ins with them individually. Just like, Hey, how's things going? Because you never know, like the one girl who hasn't shown anything or the one guy who hasn't shown anything. When you talk to him one-on-one, maybe like, coach, my grandpa's dying and it's really stressing me out. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, uh, and you hit on a great coach, but, but give your kids and and your assistants ownership. Um, I think it's, you know, there's lots of things like in my program that each of my assistants has three different, um, skills that they're in charge of that I do nothing with. And it allows them to start the year with, these are the basics of rebounding through the end of the year. Um, you know, this is what we want to do overall with rebounding. And and it also helps them when we do the statistical breakdowns on huddle or wherever it is, you know, and they look at the stats and they're like, man, our three-point shooting percentage is terrible. And the coach that's working on three-point shooting in practice, you know, that coach knows like, hey, I got to focus on this better. And along with that, I tell the kids all the time, if we're in a game and I ask you guys, or I go to change something and you tell me, no, 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 that this is better you're on the floor. You, you feel it. You do you. Um, I'm not going to overrule you on the floor. Um, and, and I think so oftentimes, especially when I was a young coach, my first year, I thought it was all about, you know, you have to have all the answers. You have to have all the power. You have to do all these things. And you know what I realized? I realized it's not sometimes the the best thing you could do is, is just trust the people around you. So, um, that was more, I guess, my long winded answer to that question. No, I love it. That's great feedback on both on all your points. Uh, and all right. before, before we get to our quick hitters, well, we will for our listeners, we will share uh Cal's Cal's Angels and, and Grow the Game information. Mm-hmm. Um I did some we did some stuff when I was at Harper with Cal's Angels. It's a tremendous organization. They do mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. amazing things. Um and you know, Grow the Game is is so so awesome. Um so we will definitely share all the all the information. Obviously, check out coaches uh, Twitter as well to to get some of that stuff. So we're going to move the quick hitters, coach. This is kind of where sometimes it goes off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it always goes off the rails. Rapid fire questions, throwing them at you. Most likely, most of the time, not basketball related. First one, favorite cartoon character of all time, Ariel. Oh, okay. I got, I got two girls. I love. So I, I love I'm me some Little Mermaid. I'm up to date on my princesses with my girls. So. <laughs> um, okay. So Thanksgiving is coming up. So the first part of this is your favorite Thanksgiving food. I got to go with the mashed potatoes with butter, 
heavy whipping cream and salt. It's not healthy, but it's amazing. <laughs> I love I'm it. Right, we, we went right hard. <laughs> All right. Now let's, let's go to the other side. You're the grossest, your least favorite Thanksgiving food. Rutabaga, hands down. Can't say I've ever it's had It's hard to, hard to peel. It smells disgusting. It's no. Mm -mm. <laughs> All right. I, I just don't ask me how to spell rutabaga either. No, no. Um, all right. So from your college playing days, maybe your favorite college road trip story. Oh, honestly, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was our coach loved it, but every road trip, we always went to Cracker Barrel. Everyone. And, you know, it just, it turned into a, okay, here we go. Cracker Barrel it is. And to this day, I don't think I've stepped foot in one, but uh, you know, when I think back to those bus trips, I think back to Cracker Barrel. I like that. Yeah. We, uh, when I was in college, we went to Florida my senior year and we went to Golden Corral every night. So <laughs> not a big fan of Golden Corral anymore. Yeah. Um. All right. Something you miss about being an assistant. The side comments and conversations that you can have with kids in the middle of practice. And most of the time they were completely off task. And as a head coach, <laughs> actually, I think I would encourage my assistant to do it because I think it helps keeps the kid, keep the kids loose, but just being able to kind of goof around with them and like, Hey, what you having for dinner? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just random stuff. That's nothing about basketball, but you know, it, it lets them know that you're human and, you know, you have interest outside of just the sport. Yeah, I, I will say I, I do miss those as well. Those are always some some interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, last one. Favorite family holiday tradition for for your family? Well, I'm gonna go back to when I was a kid. So my mom and dad had a uh, it was like a it's similar to the concept of an advent calendar, but it was actually a chimney. And the chimney was filled with 25 small paper boxes, and every day you would open up a new box. And inside of it, my mom and dad would always just fill it with a different gift. Sometimes it was a dollar. Sometimes it was a lottery ticket. Other times it was a piece of candy. But then on certain days, uh, my dad loves doing scavenger hunts. And he actually does it with my niece and nephews. And um, he, they would have different clues in there that would lead us to a bigger prize. And so I can remember, I think I got the Little Mermaid on VHS one year. <laughs> uh, white chocolate covered Oreos. That was always a big hit. But I can just remember always being so excited to wake up. And it was hard because if it was a clue, I had to do it with my sister. And so we'd have to wait till the other one woke up. Um, but just going around the house and, and opening up those gifts leading up to Christmas. So listeners, for, for any of you that have, have never heard Coach speak or, or her, heard her share the game or watch one of her teams play, um, coach is a phenomenal resource. Um, I, we were very excited to have you on today, coach. We can't thank you enough for your time. And we look forward to seeing what Yorkville girls basketball does down the line the rest of the year. Thank you. I appreciate you guys thinking of me and having me on. This is, uh, this has been quite fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.